2 Corinthians 10, verses 7 through 18. Please follow in the reading of God's Word, and then we will pray, beginning in verse 7. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive. His speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this. That what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Father, in this day and age of pride and arrogance, I pray that you will hear Hear us and our pleas to help us stand in the grace that is in Christ. That, Father, we would understand the urgency of the day and the tremendous energy that is coming against your church, is coming in your church and and, and affecting the people of your church. Father, I pray as we gather together over these months to look at this text, that we understand what a true man of God is known by, so that we would not be deceived, we would not be led astray. And that, Father, that we could understand just a little more the love the Apostle Paul had for you, the power and authority that you had given this man, and even that today we are fruit of his labor. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And, Father, thank you for your precious bride, your church, to your glory and praise. Amen. We've been looking at this book for a while. We moved into chapter 10. Chapter 10 through the end of the book is dealing with spiritual warfare. One of the things that you have to understand about spiritual warfare is that Hollywood has robbed it. And so we all think that demons and little green spitting things are what we are fighting against. And the truth of the matter is spiritual warfare is speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. So when I think about spiritual warfare, or you think about spiritual warfare, you've got to understand the battle is for the mind. It's for the thinking processes of individuals, how they program and process situations. 
All right. But one of the things that I have watched the church in my 35 years is I heard it described one time by a pastor in California that the church has a spiritual case of AIDS. Okay, AIDS means you don't have an immune ability. And what I've watched is, is that the church, for whatever reasons, and, and there's probably a, a, a plethora of them, refuses to discern. And yet, one of the things that I can see throughout Scripture is that we are warned that we are to. And one of the things that we do not discern worth a hoot is a true man of God. It's, it's amazing to me. And, and yet we don't have anything there. And that's what we've been looking at in this text. How can I know this is a true man of God? And, and we've gone through these and we're kind of in the summary phase of it now. But what is his relationship with Christ? That, that is, is that really that difficult? But the truth of the matter is, false or deceivers come in and are new to town. And you only know what they claim. And if you're really going to follow somebody, don't you think you want to know a little bit more about them? I mean, if you're going in to have surgery done, wouldn't it be nice to know that your surgeon had done this before? Okay, and, and not only has he done this before, but he's had some success with it. Okay, and yet people come into town who want to have control over your eternal destiny and you don't ask them nothing. Well, he's a nice person. Well, that's great. So what is the relationship with Christ? Two, what is his impact on the church? There are an awful lot of men out there claiming to be quote-unquote ministers that are not affiliated with a body of believers. How does that work? I don't know how that works. If the man's not hooked into a church strengthening it, then what's he doing? Okay? Then his compassion for people. If you look at the Apostle Paul's life, and I mean, even as I look at the Corinthian church, what a bunch of knuckleheads. I mean... Gee whiz. And yet his passion, compassion for those people, he kept pursuing, longing to draw them back into a good relationship with the Lord. All right. False don't do that. Another thing that a true man of God is known for is that he has a disdain for fleshly methods. They spoke here that uh, Paul was not much to look at. Okay, what do we do today? What do we do today? All right, we want someone who can turn it for... Boy, he can take over a room when he speaks. What the heck does that mean? What is that? And that's what we're looking for, isn't it? That's what we're looking for. Why? A true man of God puts no stock in any of that. None whatsoever. Okay? But he also has integrity. And what I mean by integrity is there, verse 11, that such a person consider this, that what we are in letters by when absent, such person we also are indeed when present. Okay? What does that mean? What you see here is what you see at home. Okay? 
You want to see the character of a man? What does he look like when nobody's watching? Okay? That's the character of the man. There are, it, we've seen the scandals, haven't we? And what you find out is what the man was on the stage wasn't fitting when he was off the stage. Okay? Which brings me to the summary of it, 12 through 18. Humility. Humility. A true man of God is known by his humility. And I'm going to take some time in this one. And you guys knew that. Because I believe this is crucial. I believe the single greatest, the single loudest attribute of a Christian is humility. And I'm going to show that to you. We started in on it. In, in verse 12, he says, We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those. Okay? A true, humble man of God, true, humble man of God, has an unwillingness to compare himself to others. A true man of God understands that the standard is Jesus Christ. So there's all kinds of room for pride in that, huh? Right? You measure yourself by the person of Christ. Where can pride come in? So a true man of God, his humility has an unwillingness to compare himself to others. Okay? Which brings me to what I want to deal with today. It does have a willingness... To minister within limits. It's an amazing verse. Look at verse 13. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure and the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. Okay, now what is he saying here? See, listen. The false do not want anyone putting limits on their influence. Okay? They don't want anybody putting limits on them. I know a pastor, and if I mentioned his name, everybody would recognize it, who wants to be the pastor of the world. That's his goal. Okay? Well, the Apostle Paul didn't want to be the pastor of the world. Alright? They are basically what I call self-styled messiahs. Alright? Um, if you wanted to use the secular terminology for it, I'd call it megalomaniacs. Okay? Their egos go before them. Alright? They have the sense of mission that I am here to conquer the world for Jesus Christ. Alright? And let me tell you something. They get angry... And they will step into rage when you question it. Trust me. Okay? Because I've questioned a few. Okay? But what I've learned is, there in our human nature, what is the limits of our egos? Have you ever wondered? The true man of God knows his limits. 
He knows this is what God has done. I'm willing to minister within the parameters that my Lord has set before me. I've had people come and ask me, say, well, Terry, have you ever thought about going to a bigger church? And I said, well, no, nobody really wants me. And he's, no, no. Um, I, I actually, in my life, I've had two churches offer me jobs. And, and it was really funny because they both said they'd been praying, they'd listened to me online, and they believed that God is leading me to them. Which is, you know, thank you, but I have not been praying on where I should go next. So why would God be telling you one thing and he hasn't sent me a memo? All right. I read the Bible and my Bible says a pastor leaves one when he is finished or two, he has non-repentant sin or three, the church has non-repentant sins and runs him off. That's the only three times I see it. Any reason else is what? There is, in the Greek, there's a a word, epsilon, gamma, omega, and it's always translated as personal pronouns. Okay? Epsilon, gamma, omega is pronounced ego. That's why they want to go. The false have no limits. The false have no limits to their claims. The false have no limits to their sphere of influence. The false have no limits to their boasting. And they overextend everything. They want greater and greater influence. The wider their influence is, is what they're after. And they will strive. They will labor. And they want greater prestige and greater fame is the purpose that is behind it. They were doing it in the, in the city of Corinth, and they've done it ever since. Jesus said it would be that way. Listen, there are too many in the pulpits right now that it's all about them. It is about my fame. It is about my fortune. I have no limits. And you know what? They will always, always, always overstate their giftedness. Listen, this is, I'm, this is rampant. You go ask a pastor how many baptisms he's done in a year. Have you ever noticed they always have even numbers? Have you ever noticed that they always round up? Why do they do that? I know exactly how many people I baptize in a year. I can tell you their names. And if you do 19, why do you feel necessary to say 20? Well, in my humility, I will say about 20. No, you know 19. Okay, that's the way it is. That is how it works. Why? I want to overinflate what I've done. That's what the false do. Because it is about them. They overstate everything. They will overstate their impact. They will overstate their influence. They will overstate their achievements. And they will puff everything up and inflate it all. But not the true man of God. And eventually they end up greater than truth. And you know what I've learned is? 
I watch it and I deal with it. When I got saved, I thought that my uh, ministry would be among drug dealers and bikers. Okay? <laughs> That's really what I thought. I thought, well, you know what? My background, I can relate to these people. I know how this is going to work. I can cut through all the poo they want to throw out. And I'll see how this thing works. Okay? You know what God said? No, I want to put you in the middle of the religious elite. I'd rather have the drug dealers than the bikers. Okay? Because I've run into enough bikers to know, not a lot, some of them do, but they don't have a lot of pride. Okay? But, you know, you'll run into a handful that do. But I tell you what, you deal with some of these religious people and you're like, gee, many crickets. Do you not believe that pride comes before the fall? I watch these people and they will take credit for every single thing as long as it's positive. And if anything negative happens, I don't know what happened. Almost sounds like politicians. Okay? Do you see what I'm saying? And, and, and you know, we said, we look at our society and say, well, our society looks just like it. Our churches look like that. The Corinthian catastrophe was the fact that this group of people were to affect their society and the opposite happened. Their society affected the church and they became susceptible and they could not identify the true man of God. And let me tell you something. You question these people on this and you will learn what the definition of the gates of hell is. Because they have the energy of the kingdom of darkness behind it. The father of lies is their source. The false in Corinth had claimed massive impact. They had done, been very successful, if you really think about it. The Apostle Paul had been there for two years, founded a church. There had never been a, Christ had never been named in the city. This church flourished, was gifted in every gift. Paul left. The accusers came in sowed seeds of doubt about the Apostle Paul and claimed that they had greater influence than the Apostle Paul. We don't know exactly what they said, what they boasted of, but we do know that they were extraordinarily puffed up. The first six chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians, you see nothing but pride and arrogance, pompous, and it caused schisms. Because when pride starts running into more pride, then you get more pride. And the two shall never get along. They had higher knowledge. They had higher authority. They had higher power. They had higher speakers. They could, they could turn a phrase. They were into rhetoric. They were great to look at. Pleasing to the eye. And they could tickle your ears. You would never know that your ears was being tickled. They were more successful than the Apostle Paul. I've never been arrested for Jesus. I don't know what Paul's doing that Jesus keeps throwing him in jail. If he was following Christ, why was he shipwrecked? If he was following Christ, why was he stoned and left for dead? Look at what we tout today as success in ministry and compare it to the Apostle Paul. And I don't know anybody ever in the history of Christendom more successful than the Apostle Paul. And yet you would sign me up for that one? Really? I'm going to go to jail? 
I'm in danger in a country. I'm in danger in a city. I'm in danger from my countrymen. I'm in danger from the Gentiles. I've been beaten with rods. I've been shipwrecked, snake bit, stoned and left for dead. Yes, I want to be a minister. Who would stand in that line? And yet the Apostle Paul understood, this is my limit. This is my boundary. He says there in verse 13, we will not boast beyond our measure. I will not inflate the facts. I will not say anything that is not true. Paul, his calling, his giftedness, his ministry, his impact, his success, nothing was beyond what actually had happened. And if you're really honest with yourself, you're going to be hard-pressed in the writings of the Apostle Paul to hear anything about him. What we know about Paul was told to us by other writers, mainly Luke. You have glimpses when he's in prison in 2 Timothy and he understands that he's about done. Timothy, bring me my coat and the parchments. Okay, so you know he's not in a happy place. All right? But you don't, you, you don't get any of the, the... He doesn't say, well, today... He does, he's not on Facebook telling you, I'm going on vacation to Rome. Hopefully I can get over to Spain. Paul understood that God had given him a sphere of influence and he was going to stay in the standard of the sphere. Okay, when you see this phrase right here, verse 13, we will not boast beyond our measure. It's amazing in the syntax in the original language. And you know what it literally means? I'm not going to get out of my lane. Paul was running a race and he knew that he had to stay in this lane and he was going to stay within the boundaries of that lane. I have to run in my lane. Can I tell you what happens in my lane? And I'm not going to go beyond that. See that? That's humility. That's humility. He's staying in what is real. He doesn't presume upon God. He understood who he was. He understood that he was weak. He understood he was inadequate. He understood he was sinful. He called himself a garbage bucket. With a precious treasure inside. Yet he understood that he was walking in God's triumphal, victorious parade. But he never boasted about more than the Lord had accomplished through him. And you know what? The false, they like to boast on how powerful they are. They like to boast on how accomplished they are. They like to boast on how far-reaching they are. They like to boast on how influential they are. You know what? They were doing it at the time of the Apostle Paul, and they have cranked it up a notch. Paul never boasted beyond his measure. I will never boast beyond our measure. See, think of the sphere that he is appointed to. Then I'm going to ask you a question. What sphere have you been appointed to? I did a funeral yesterday, a memorial. Okay. 
It's difficult. The guy comes from a hardcore Catholic background. Do you know what I'm, I talk about? The matriarchs? Do you know what I'm talking about? The, the hierarchy, spiritual mothers. And I mean, whoa. I mean, when, when I met with the family on uh, Wednesday, I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> you know, um, I, they have never met me, okay? Never said a word to me. They, they, the guy, the funeral guy says, this is Terry. And they said, he's going to be buried at a 300-year-old church. First words they tell me. But do you have a 300-year-old priest? <laughs> then I'll be re- impressed. Okay, but, but that's the way it started. And I was like, why am I here? And his, his wife, uh, his widow, said, he really liked you. And I would like for you to speak. So anyway, we do it. Okay? Bikers. And then hardcore Catholics. What am I doing there? But you know what? How many of you... Listen, this was at a bar. Okay, so I go into a bar for the funeral of a biker who is a Catholic. All right? And you're sitting there going, Whoa, what do you think I should say? <laughs> okay, but I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you would have just jumped up and said, I'll do that? But see, God's got me in a lane. And I rode with Aaron a few times. He was a great guy. Dude, he had a million dollar smile. But he, he rode an ugly motorcycle and chewed on cigars and had stuff in his teeth all the time. It's sort of unnerving. But, but anyway, do you see what I'm trying to get? You, you guys want to go in that lane? Listen, I don't know if I accomplished anything. Okay? This thing was supposed to start at 2 o'clock, or at 1 o'clock, and it was, the, the widow didn't show up till 2 o'clock, so everybody was in mid-wake form. So, I, you know, what do you say? Okay? But you do learn to pray with fervor. Okay? That's part of the lane that I run in. The Apostle Paul had a lane he ran in. Paul was a very educated man. In Tarsus, he was, where he was born and raised, was put him, there was a college in Tarsus. He got to go to college there because he was from there. Okay? But he also studied under Gamali. Okay? Of a Pharisee. This is a very intelligent man. And you would think, well, God would use this hardcore Jew in with the Jews. But he said, no, I want to take you to the intellectual erudites of the Greek world. And that's where he took him. And he says, I want you to run in that lane. I want you to go into cities where I am not named. I want you to preach my word and then birth a church and then raise up leaders so the body of Christ is glorified in that city. That's the lane that Paul was given. That was the sphere that God apportioned to the Apostle Paul. I do not have the gift of evangelism. Okay? But I have a passion for discipleship. Okay? God did that. And so everything that I see in my life is based on discipleship. 
Don't say anything other than the truth about himself. This is where God has me. If I boast in anything, I will boast in Christ. Why? I will stay in the area, the realm, the sphere, the lane where the Lord has placed me. See, that's the message God has apportioned to me. Those are the people that God has apportioned to me. Paul was sovereignly gifted. Paul was sovereignly granted an area of service. Question, where are you sovereignly gifted and where are you called to serve? You should find that out sooner than later. And when you find it out, stay in your lane. Let me show you this because it's, it's really evident. When he, you got to remember, he makes a third trip to Corinth. And on his third trip, he writes the letter to the Romans. Okay? And he tells the Romans that he wants to come and visit them. All right? In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, re- listen to this. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the... Gentiles in his name. Okay? He's telling the Romans, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Alright? But if you look at the end of the letter, in Romans 15, verse 15, But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that has been given to me from God. Why? To preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He was faithful. If you look at verse 18, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So he was successful at it. Paul was faithful. Listen, Paul embraced and handled the limit. He did not need to be bigger. He knew what God had intended for him and he rejoiced in it. The guy says he wants to be pastor of the world is shameful. It's shameful. Paul had no desire. He just wanted to be faithful to the sphere that God had placed him in. Listen, here's I, I had a very great preacher once tell me, this and, and I, I, I'll pass it on to you because I, I hold dear to it. I am to worry about my depth and God will take care of the breath. Okay? I would say it this way. You worry about the quality and God will take care of the quantity. See, excellence is not size. So many in the pulpits today in the churches in America are self-congratulatory. They commend themselves. Paul never spoke of his accomplishments, only what Christ was doing. Why? That's objective. And it was truth. God in His sovereignty portioned Paul to this measure. And Paul was absolutely content 
with that measure. When God gave Paul that measure, he was grateful, appreciative. And listen, that is important to every one of us in this room. Every single one of us. Are you content with the lane God's got you in? Or do you bellyache about it? Okay? Paul, the apostle, he had a specific call, a specific commission, and he was all about it. Let me ask you a question. What do you do with this? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would what? Walk in them. Boy, it sure does narrow it down, doesn't it? I don't have to go out and invent a ministry. I just need to walk in the one He gave it to me. Paul understood that he was to preach to the Gentile world. Paul understood that he was starting churches where no church had ever been. He knew that when he started a church, he would have to build leaders. And you know what he did? Exactly what he was called to. He was completely content. In fact, he was overwhelmed at the privilege. He didn't want to be the savior of the world. He didn't want to go beyond God's plan. He did not boast and he stayed in the sphere. He stayed in his lane. God apportioned a measure. And what the Lord has given, that is where we should be at laboring at. Each and every one of us. Why are we not laboring? Why do we want grandiose? I don't even like talking in front of people. And what's he got me doing? I remember I had to teach at a First Baptist Church of Moscow. This thing's a massive. It's huge. It's got balconies and all kind of weird. You got people behind you. It's like you're preaching in the round or something. And they said, we need you to bring a message. And I walk into this auditorium. I'm like, oh, my God. And maybe nobody will show up. And I, they kept more people kept coming in, more people kept coming in. And the more of the people came in, the more nervous I got. By the time we got ready to start, if my hands had been on fire, I wouldn't have enough spit to put them out. I was scared to death. My tongue was stuck to the top of my mouth. And I thought, how in the world am I going to get through this? And I was praying. I wasn't praying for the message. And then I'm like, Lord, get me through this. All these people sit here looking at me. So I walk up to the pulpit and I get up there and they've got a light right down there. It's hitting me right in the eye and Ron right up there and it's hitting me there. And I see about seven people and that's all. And God brought me through it. Why? Because I don't like doing that. So listen, I know where God called me. I know where God placed me. The Apostle Paul knew where God called him. And knew where God had placed him. And you know what? As Paul, that should be enough for all of us. How far and wide the lane is, that's God's job. Listen, I I never dreamed that I'd ever be a preacher or a pastor. Ever. 
It wasn't on the top one million things to do when I grew up. But I've, ta- I've preached on the Temple Mound in Jerusalem. I preached at the synagogue across the street from Peter's house in Bethsaida. I've preached in London. I've preached in Germany. I've preached in Russia multiple times. I can honestly tell you, that was never my plan. Okay? But you worry about the depth. it got to take care of the breath. And I've preached at a bar. <laughs> I, I have now arrived. <laughs> because I, one guy asked me, he says, can you pray in a bar? And I said, without ceasing, brother. <laughs> but but this, is, this is what I want you guys to get. Because in humility, you say, this is what God has called me to. And this is what God has apportioned me to. So I'm going to run in my lane. Okay? That's humility. There are many self-styled messiahs out there. And when you question what they're doing, they will attack and they will attack vehemently. The Corinthians should have known this. This should have been absolutely clear. Now listen, I'm about to wrap this up, but I want you to think about something. God had one son. Okay, one son. All right. And he sent him down here for 33 years, right? What did he do most of his ministry. He preached. But you know what's amazing about the Lord Jesus Christ? I didn't hear that guy down in Texas tell me that he is going to be the pastor of the world. And you know what? Did you know that Jesus operated within his limits? He took the limits that the Father had given him and he stayed within the limits. Did you know that? Think about this. He was limited by God's will. In John's gospel, he says, I came to do the Father's will and nothing more. I come to do what God wants, not what I want. Secondly, he did everything by the Father's timing. My hour has not yet come. Right? So, God's will... God's timing. But you know what? I have come to the lost sheep of Israel. It was God's people. So he came for God's will, God's timing, God's people. And if you're really honest about it, God's people was even narrow. Because he says, I have not come to those who are not sick. I came for the sick ones. Okay? He was looking for those who had sick souls and needed a great physician. And he did it within that parameter that God said. But he also came and he limited his message to what God wanted said. He never got involved in other issues. He proclaimed the kingdom of salvation for sinners through his sacrifice. And you know what? His message was the same before the cross as after the cross. So the same message.
God's will, God's time, God's people, God's message. Fifthly, God's plan. The gospel would go through the world and it started with Jesus and 11 half-hearted men. Jesus spent most of his time, intimate time, with those 11 half-hearted men. And guess what? Because it was God's plan, God's message to God's people, and God's timing, God's will, those 11 half-hearted men turned the world upside down. You know what? The Apostle Paul followed it. He did the Lord's will. He did it in the Lord's timing. He did it in the Lord's place. And he did it with the Lord's plan, to the Lord's message, to the Lord's people. This should have been seen by the Corinthians. Okay? End of verse 13. Look what he says. As to us, as the measure. Okay, this is my measure. This is my lane. This is my race. To reach even as far as you. This is part of his love for the Corinthians. I came because God gave me that measure. Remember in 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says, I am your father. You guys don't exist if I don't come. The word there is, reach as far as you. We call that the canon in the Greek. And it, it's canonization is what you hear for the script. It's the standard. This is the realm. This is what God has given to me. And you know what? For some crazy reason for me, this seems very obvious. They came because Paul's love for them. You think about the Corinthians, how the deception works so easily. Okay? If they listen to the accusers of the Apostle Paul, then they have to deny Paul's calling. They have to deny Paul's message. They have to deny Paul's authority. And what they do is deny their own identity. I mean, it's spiritual suicide. Okay? How do we recognize this humble servant? Well, they will not compare themselves, unwilling to compare themselves to other. But they are willing to minister in the limits that God has put on them. The next three, I'll give them to you and we'll pick them up in the next three weeks. Unwilling to take credit for others' works. A willingness to seek only the glory of the Lord. And last, an unwillingness to accept anything as an external commendation. Let's pray. Father, to you and you alone, Lord, let us know our calling. Let us know what has been apportioned to us. And Father, let us run laboring and striving with all that we are for this victory so that you and you alone will be glorified. Thank you, Father, for the true teachers that you send into our lives. And Father, may we never take them for granted And may we stand in awe of a holy God that he felt his grace would send such gifted people into us. Help us, Lord. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to walk in a manner worthy. Help us to seek the sheep that are lost. And help us to be content in all things that you do in each of our lives. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.